All right. Well, I hope I gave everybody enough uh, notice there. I decided to start the countdown a little early tonight, um, and I was thinking that everybody was already here, but I now see some folks getting in here a little later. So uh, anyway, please forgive me for that if I uh, clipped you about, about four minutes there. So, But we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, and, uh, I'm, and I'm very excited about it. So I'm glad that you're here, and uh, this is class number 20. Uh, Kingdom Overview Part 3. I went ahead and stuck that on there because sometimes when you go back and look at the archives, it uh, help you kind of find, you know, maybe a class that you're looking for or something that we talked about during a class. But that's, I guess, famous last words. That's only going to be a very brief uh, portion of what we talk about tonight. And then we're going to get finally to, uh, to the section that we call three questions. So uh, I'm excited about that. So again, Class 20, Kingdom Overview Part 3. We just got a little bit that we didn't get to last week that... I feel like uh, we, we need to uh, present to you, and then we'll get into the three questions. Praise God. You're all looking uh, very uh, nice and fresh and excited this evening. I love to hear all the, the talking and the fellowship in the room before we get started. To me, it's uh, uh, fellowship's the music of heaven. Praise God. And um, so it's great to, to have you with us, and we're believing for good things. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for these awesome men and women. Lord, here in the room, those that are joining us online, Father, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, you asked the Father to give him to us, and, and Father answered that prayer. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is in us as born-again believers. And among other things, he's leading us and guiding us into the truth that you have for our lives. Father, thank you for uh, loving us and believing the best about us and never giving up on us. Thank you for all the things that you've promised us, all the things that you've made us, all the things that you've given us. And Lord, I thank you tonight that you're helping us connect with these things in, in, in meaningful ways in our own lives individually, but also, Father, so that we can understand them and be of better service to other people. Lord, thank you tonight for revelation from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, that it wouldn't just be information that we receive or even necessarily knowledge that we receive, but, but Lord, that you would reveal things to us and open our eyes to see things in a way that we've never seen them before. Thank you again uh, for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us and for being with us, in us, upon us, and among us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so let's, um, let's start with this, and I'm glad I made myself a note so I'd be sure and tell you. Uh, so no class next Wednesday, all right, January 17th, no class next Wednesday. Um, one, uh, one week a year, Pam and I uh, go to a minister's conference. We get invited to a lot of them, but there's one that we go to out in, in Dallas, uh, Texas, really Newark, Texas. And uh, so uh, we will have service, guys, y'all love to come on Wednesday. Brother Donald's going to be preaching uh, for me next Wednesday here. And so I appreciate you giving me uh, and Miss Pam a, a, a night off, amen, we'll be in, in Texas all week. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's wall-to-wall word, amen. It starts in the morning and sessions all throughout the day. Then we take a break for dinner and come back uh, and, and sessions on into the night. So uh, we will come back charged and chock full of the Word of God. So we're excited about that. So I'll try to mention it again at the end for those who are joining us uh, online later. But So make a that note of that. No class next Wednesday, but then, of course, we'll jump back in. And I don't foresee any other uh, interruptions until uh, we are finished. Praise God. So let's do just a little bit of review uh, uh, concerning the kingdom and then a few new things that we haven't covered yet uh, as we get started tonight. So we began by talking about the kingdom of God and we said that we need a better understanding of um, God's kingdom 
Most people hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and they automatically think of going to heaven one day uh, by death or rapture. Jesus did not come to create a new religion or a new branch uh, of an existing religion, but He came to bring God's kingdom to the earth and provide a way for you and me to enter into it. Jesus taught about the kingdom more than any other subject. It was His first, His most consistent, and even His final message while on the earth. And we looked at that uh, last verses I think we looked at last week when we were together uh, were out of Acts chapter 1 where uh, Luke by the Holy Spirit was kind of filling in uh, some of the gaps, so to speak, between Jesus' resurrection and we know that He ascended uh, back to heaven. But in those 40 days that He was uh, alive and, and well on planet earth, we see that he spent time teaching, and guess what? He was teaching on even then uh, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We said the kingdom of, of God is the source for our authority and ministry. We are citizens of, ambassadors for our Father's kingdom. So we talk about the kingdom of God. It ultimately means the government of God. You could think the rule of God, the reign of God, um, the uh, realm of God, the resources of God, all of those things pertaining to uh, God's government. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that when Jesus would come, He would bring the government of God with Him and that the increase of that government would know no end. Jesus piggybacked on this when He uh, compared the kingdom of God to uh, yeast or leaven that again is something that begins small but ultimately uh, works its way through the entire lump of dough. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so again, he's talking about the, the idea of the kingdom of God continuing to grow and expand. Uh, and of course, Jesus said the gates of hell would not, would not prevail against it. So the kingdom of God is here and it is here to stay. If you're a part of the kingdom by the new birth, then you're a part of the only thing on this earth that's going to last. Amen. And that's wonderful news. So let's jump in. We looked at Acts 1 and I'll put that verse back up on the screen right quick. But uh, mainly we see this uh, in verse 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that final verse on the screen, to whom he also, Jesus, presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So again, his, uh, the, Jesus taught on the kingdom more than any other subject. It was his most consistent uh, message, and it's one that Satan has tried desperately to steal from the body of Christ. But thank God we're not going to let him do that. Amen? Now, if we jump, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, if we jump to the final chapter in the book of Acts, uh, we find this verse. So when they appointed him a day, I'll explain what this is talking about in just a moment. But when they appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And if you're not familiar with the book of Acts or who this is talking about, it's, it's talking about the Apostle Paul. And what we uh, see from him is that you know, he had went through uh, his legal issues where he had appealed ultimately to take his case to Caesar. And uh, he was under house arrest, but he had the favor of God upon him. And so under house arrest, they allowed people to, to come and for him to teach them. And here we see, as the book of Acts comes to an end, it begins with Jesus uh, between His resurrection and ascension, teaching on the kingdom of God, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest apostle of all the apostles, um, teaching the same subject, uh, things pertaining to or things 
explaining and solemnly testifying of the kingdom of God. Now, this next verse we're going to look at, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Uh, it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, this is one of those verses that you just have to understand it by faith because it's very difficult for you and me. I'm going to even say impossible for us to com comprehend this with human intellect. This is one of those things like Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that God created the physical world and universe by speaking words out of his mouth. You'll never understand that through human intellect uh, or the meat computer, if we could just get real about it. But with the heart, faith is a function of the heart, and by faith we understand in our heart, amen, we believe it's true. Now, that's not just check your brain at the door and pretend like something's true that you don't think really is. No, by believing it because the Word of God says it, that's how we come to an understanding of it. And the same is true with this and many other verses. So he's talking, Jesus speaking here, and he lets us know that it's Father's good pleasure not just to answer our prayers, not just to give us a little help when we need it, but it's Father's good pleasure to give to you and me the kingdom. And then um, five chapters over, same gospel writer, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, Jesus being he, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Right? Now, here's another one of those uh, otherworldly truths. We've said this a few times already, but remember when Jesus was having his conversation with Nicodemus and he said, Up until this point, I've told you things. Uh, that you can understand because there's something in your world uh, that you can relate it to. He would tell, tell a parable or what have you. Uh, but he says, how, and you haven't believed or received any of that, so how are you going to believe when I give you something that there's nothing in your world that you can relate it to? And, and this is another one of those statements, that it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then the Pharisees are like, look, Jesus, enough already. You're talking about this kingdom for years and years and years. When is this kingdom going to come? Notice now they're making the same mistake that Nicodemus was making. They're looking for something physical. They're, they're, they're looking for uh, there to be uh, a grand opening, right? Uh, they're wanting to know when Jesus is going to take the big scissors and cut the ribbon. That, that's, that's their thinking on all of this because that's how they understood uh, kingdom and how you know, they're thinking a physical kingdom, a physical throne, a physical government. Um, and, and Jesus says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it, 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 that's not how this works, not how any of this works. He says, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So let's go back to uh, that conversation Jesus again had with Nicodemus. Remember, he said the wind blows where it, where it wishes. Um, you, you don't see the wind, but you see the tree move. You, you, you see the effect. So the concept there is, visible signs from an invisible source. Jesus was performing miracles, which were visible. People could see them and, and experience them and witness them, okay? But the power that was producing those miracles was something uh, like the wind, so to speak, that, that you couldn't see, but you could see the results of it. And then Jesus said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone. So if you've been born again, 
you have within you the same kingdom that Jesus had within him. That's why John 14 says the same works that Jesus did, you will do also and even greater works because he goes to his father. So every miracle Jesus performed was a manifestation of father's kingdom in the earth. And now father has given you that same kingdom. So it's not just that we're in the kingdom. Remember, we enter into the kingdom through the new birth. But father's ultimate desire is to put the kingdom in you. Remember, we began this section talking about the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Anybody remember that? We just talked about that. So the good news, the gospel, gospel means good news. The good news of salvation is that you can be born again. The good news of salvation is that you can be free from your sin. The good news of salvation is that you can receive uh, eternal redemption and eternal inheritance and become seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, become one once again with God the Father. All this is wonderful news. Wonderful, wonderful news. But Jesus preached the gospel of salvation, but as a means of entering into the kingdom. His most consistent message was not the gospel of salvation. His most consistent message was the gospel of the kingdom with salvation as a way and the only way into the kingdom. Now, this is important for you and me to recognize and understand because Jesus believed that if he explained to people the kingdom, that people would then automatically want to be in. Amen. It's like, okay, how do you get in on this? I want in on this. Amen. And, and so now we've, we've so watered down the, the, the gospel of salvation is we present the gospel of salvation to people not as a means of entering into the kingdom because we think kingdom means going to heaven, right? So it's presented to us as you need to get saved so you won't go to hell and can go to heaven. And, and notice what's left out of all of this is Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom to put the kingdom inside of you. Now, there's one last uh, part of this that, uh, that I want to go over, and I'm not going to take the time to do this. Maybe it's something you'd like to do uh, later this evening or tomorrow when you have, have a few minutes, okay? But in, in Matthew 13 and verse 51, all right, and I'll put it on the screen, Matthew chapter 13, 51 and 52, um, Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, uh, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. All right. Now, sometimes these translations leave us kind of scratching our heads. All right. So let me let me take a step back. When Jesus says, have you understood all these things? Jesus, and I'm going to do that. I don't mean to be obnoxious here, but I'm going to do this for, for emphasis, okay, for emphasis, okay? Jesus went back to back to back to back to back to back to back on parables concerning the kingdom. Seven different parables in a row with the master key parable being the parable of the sower, okay, in Matthew 13. We've looked at that in depth already in here. But that one parable of the sower, as important as that parable is, Jesus said, if you don't understand this one, how will you understand all the others? Okay. But that wasn't the only parable. In that set of teaching, Jesus gave us seven different parables, comparables, okay? uh, things we could compare his teaching to in the earth to get us close enough to take the leap of faith into it and begin to act on it, okay? Seven parables in a row concerning the kingdom. And then he sits back and he goes, all right, guys, y'all understand what we're talking about here? And they're like, I smell a hamburger cooking somewhere. Yes, sir, we got it, right? In other words, they, they were like, yeah, we, we understand it. We, we got it, Lord, amen. We, we took the notes and we still trap 
uh, we, we were all up in the middle of it, okay? And I believe Jesus then with kind of a smile on his face, he says this. Then he said to them, okay, therefore, right? If you really do understand it, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things due and old. Now, I want to give you the same verse number 52 in the message translation. In the message translation. And when you hear it in the message translation, because it breaks down some of these more complex words uh, into words that I think you and I can understand and relate to. So here's Matthew chapter 13, verse 52 from the message translation. He said to them, Then you see how every student, well trained in God's kingdom, is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Wow. Do you see how this ties in with what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, I'm meeting all of these needs because of my Father's kingdom that is in me. And so when someone would come to Jesus with a need, he was like the owner of a general store. If they needed... Healing, we got healing. If they, their eyes were blinded, we got new sight. If their leg was crippled, we got you know, healing for that. If your hand was withered, we got healing for that. If they were hungry, we can multiply food. If the storm uh, was threatening them, then we can take authority over that. So all of these things that Jesus was doing, he was pulling from the resources of God's kingdom. So, do you, man, I get so stirred up here. I'm trying to kind of settle down. Sometimes I just like just haul off and start preaching right here. I'm going to try to just keep it, keep it calm, keep it cool, right? Okay. But listen, I think it is, it is of the utmost importance that you and I connect with these verses in real and meaningful ways. If Jesus like mentioned the kingdom like maybe three times and it wasn't really that big of a deal, then, then, then don't make it a big deal. I mean, we should make anything Jesus talked about a big deal. But if this was the thing he talked about the most then that ought to tell us how big of a deal this really is. And we clearly see by this passage and others, the one that we already mentioned in John the 14th chapter, right? Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also and even greater works because I go to my Father. Do not fear, little flock. It's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't come with observation. You don't say, look, it's over there, look, it's over here. But the kingdom of God is, is within you. Amen. So he's not, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's talking about every born again man or woman. Every child of God has the kingdom of God within them, has the capacity to do the works that Jesus did, and even greater works because Jesus went to his Father. Amen. So notice the key to it, though, the key to it is understanding the kingdom. The key to it, because remember again, Jesus, this was, these weren't the only seven parables he taught on the kingdom. He taught on the kingdom early and often, day and night. Amen. But now, after this seven parables in a row, he's like, okay, guys, are you getting this? Making sense to you? You processing this? You understanding this? Your eyes being open to this? And they're like, yes, sir, Jesus, we got it. He goes, all right, let me tell you how you'll know you've got it. When you've really got it, you'll be like the owner of a general store. Anybody who comes to you with a need, you will be able to put your hand on what it is that they need. Amen. Are you seeing this? One more time, who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. He's talking about you right here. He's talking about me right here. Amen. Amen. Wow, this is, okay, maybe you got it already and I'm, I'm the one that needs to move on. But this, this is important, okay? One more time. This is extremely important. The, 
Jesus says, uh, I need you guys to feed these people. They're hungry. Feed them? All we got is a little boy's lunch here, Jesus. Um, how, how are we going to feed them? It wasn't about the money. I'm so tired of people not paying attention to what the Bible says and just making it up as they go along, okay? Jesus did not say, nor did the disciples say, we don't have enough money to feed these people. They had the money. They didn't have a place to go and buy that much food. This whole idea of Jesus wandering around like some beggar ain't got nothing. I love, listen to me now, I love the chosen, been watching the chosen, okay? Um, but they portray Jesus again as, as a homeless beggar. Read the Bible. Hold that thought. Read the Bible. He invited early disciples to his home, okay? Jesus chose to leave the comforts of his home and travel all around in, in different places. Jesus was given everything. It's, again, it's representative of our new birth, okay? At his birth, three kings brought him treasure. Are you following me? They didn't tip him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He was given at childhood an endowment. Everything that he would need to fulfill his father's purpose and destiny for his life was given to him at birth. Are you hearing me? And guess what? Everything that you and I need to fulfill our father's destiny was given to us at our new birth. Amen. Yes, sir. Loud and clear, sir. Everybody can hear you. Yes. 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 That's great. Okay. You think you got it? Give it to me loud and clear. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me, let, me, um, let me say basically the same thing, but let me say it another way. All right. How many miracles did Jesus perform outside of his... It's a trick question, so be careful before you answer, okay? Uh, how many miracles did Jesus perform outside of his connection with the Father? Zero, right? He said, I and my Father are one. I can of my own self do nothing... The Father who dwells in me does the works. Right? Now, I can't wait to get to, I'm excited, man. When we get to the new, uh, new birth section and what it means to be saved and all that stuff, we're going to get into this deep, 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 okay? There's a lot about it and that, that, that I'm excited about giving to you, okay? But what we see is that when Jesus returning to the Father basically completed the cycle, We've talked about these cycles, right, where the rain comes down, but it, it has to be returned for the ability that it has to release potential uh, is realized, okay? Um, but Jesus came forth from the Father. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, uh, revealed Father God to us, 
took the blame and punishment of everything we've ever done wrong, died on the cross in our place, was buried in death, held on the grave for three days, raised, and then ascended back to the Father. Okay? Now, oh, sweet man. Okay, I got... <laughs> This is kind of like one of those things right now because it's, it's something I've really, really been studying. And so squeeze the ketchup bottle and ketchup comes out. So I got I to, because we'll get off on this and we won't get anything else done tonight. Okay. So the whole point of him going back to his father, remember what he said, that if I stay with you, then the Holy Spirit will remain with the father. But if I go back to the father, I'm going to ask the father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he actually said that we would be in a more advantageous position. Now imagine these disciples. Uh, Jesus says, all right, guys, I got some good news for you, okay? The good news is I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And you're going to be in a more advantageous, it's to your advantage, is literally what he said. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit can't be sent. But, but if I go, then the Holy Spirit can come. So through this completion of the cycle where he returns back to the Father from which he came and then he completes our salvation by you know, completing all that, we're now in Jesus. Jesus is now in us. Jesus is in the Father. And because Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him, and we're in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. Are you seeing all this? Now the Holy Spirit's in us, right? And now we can walk in the Spirit. Holy Spirit in you. Be led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit in you now. Holy Spirit can be upon you, empowering you. Amen. Just the way he was upon Jesus and empowered Jesus. Remember the Old Testament standard was a portion or measure of the Holy Spirit. Elijah had one measure. Elisha asked for a double portion, a double measure. Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus, Joel prophesied, Jesus fulfilled it. Uh, In the last days I will pour my Spirit out upon a few selected, especially appointed people. No, all flesh. Thank you for paying attention. All flesh. This is unheard of unheard of before Jesus made it available. That goes all the way back to the veil being torn, uh, the sins of all mankind being paid for so that the Holy Spirit now could be poured out on, uh, on all flesh. So everything that was given to Jesus, everything that was made available to Jesus as a man to do his Father's will on earth has been given to you and me. And that freaks a lot of people out. Because we think, well, he's the son of God. That's Jesus. He could do. But see, if it's Jesus doing those things as the eternal, uncreated son of God, then we should all applaud it and give God glory. But again, that excludes us. Jesus could have, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, Jesus could have taken the keys back from the devil at any point as the eternal, uncreated son of God sitting on the throne of the universe. But if he'd have done that, it would have not done anything to help you and me. Jesus came as a man. He took them back as a man. Therefore, he can give them to you and me as mankind. Are you seeing this? So he had to complete it as a human being. Amen. So I get, again, I'm getting stirred up about all this stuff, right? Um, so it's, it's whose we are. It's who's in us. It's that we've been made one with God now, the same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, the same identical spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and me. Praise God. Praise God. So yes, brother, your answer was correct, but obviously this just, I mean, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's just, uh, yes, amen, all the above. But now watch, watch this. My, my, uh, my mother uh, and, and dad, they used to go to the Y a lot. They haven't gone as much here of late, but... But there was a retired pastor 
uh, that would be at the Y. Most mornings my mom and, and dad were there and they'd sit on those recumbent bikes together and talk about the things of God and just had all these wonderful conversations and what God's doing in their families and just my mother was just enjoying it, you know. And so one day she says, you know, the Bible says that we'll do the works that Jesus did and even greater works than those. And it was like, Urgh! this man looks at her and he says, retired pastor now. He looks at my mother. He says, the Bible doesn't say that. My mom, well, John chapter 14, I think it's verse 12. You know, she told him the verse, chapter, verse, quoted the verse again to him. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you, you, know, you can't have a conversation with somebody that insists that the Bible doesn't say something that the Bible clearly says. But, now, but, but see, you now watch this. These things haven't been taught. The, the, these things haven't been explained to people. Uh, you, you know, I've had a lot of feedback this year, and, and, and I often do, on the heavens plural class. You know, it's because people read the Bible multiple times, but they've never seen heavens plural until all of a sudden the Holy Spirit points it out to them. And now once you see that, you, you start seeing it everywhere. I, uh, I, I bought a, it's a long story, I'll make it brief, but I went to buy a charcoal gray truck. I wound up buying a maroon truck because they didn't have a charcoal gray truck in stock. And I, I was really set on a dark charcoal gray, but anyway, the more I looked at that maroon truck, not the one I have now, this was back in uh, 2000, um, I told my wife, I said, you know, I, th I think I'm going to get that maroon one. I, you sure? She's like, you sure you're not just settling because they don't have one? No, I, I, I really think I, I said, I remember saying that. I said, it must be rare. I've never seen one that color. And we saw three that color going home. Okay. But now what happened? See, my eyes were open to it. See, my eyes are open to it. Now, what had been there all along, but I didn't see, there's a shift has happened and now because I'm looking for it, I'm seeing it everywhere. Are you seeing this, right? So same is true with things in the Scripture. It's like you may have never thought of the kingdom the way we are supposed to think about the kingdom. You may be, have been like me for a lot of years in my life. I thought of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, as being the place you go to when you die or when Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds. And, but then all of a sudden when you realize what it really is and what it means to enter the kingdom, entering the kingdom doesn't mean dying, Right? But that was what I thought. I think maybe some of you thought that too before these last set of classes. But now when we, our eyes are open to what it really is, now you sit down and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's everywhere you look. Verses that you've made. For me, and this is the funny thing about it for me, verses that I had memorized but never saw. In other words, my eyes were never open to. You know? And then I was like, Shazam, man, this is everywhere now. Okay, so that's, that is growing up into Jesus. That is, that is where we're seeing these things. Now, st stay with me for just a second, okay? Uh, and this is the example that I try to use, okay? <clears throat> if, it's never, if it's never taught, if people never hear it, okay, then how, how, can we ever, how can we acknowledge what we have no knowledge of? The Bible says acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Well, if you have no knowledge of the good things that are in you, if you have no, like one of the new birth realities, okay, all the way back to the beginning of these classes, some of you were not here for that, I understand that, but we said that a huge part of discipleship is the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of life, okay? You became something and someone that you were not, before through the new birth discipleship is about finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus you were made just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus the day you receive salvation 
Okay, that's an inward righteousness, right? Standing with God in the eyes of God is an inward reality of the new birth. Freedom from sin is an inward reality of the new birth. But in order for that to become an outward expression of life, right? It's one thing for Jesus to make you free. It's another thing for you to be free in your performed action. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed means in, in your deeds, in your performed action. So it's one thing for Him to make you free. It's another thing for somebody to explain to you that you're now free from sin. Are you with me? And for you to acknowledge that you're free from sin, even if you seem to still be struggling, it's like, oh, I'm not free from sin, Pastor Mark. You don't know what I did this morning. See, no, again, I'm talking about an inward reality. But the more your mind comes into alignment with the reconciliation process, right? Bringing what you think is true into alignment with what's really true. That's reconciliation. That's the ministry of reconciliation. I am a minister of reconciliation. So are you. So now, so, so notice now what's happening. We're, we're acknowledging, okay, I've been made right before God in the eyes of God. I was given this uh, identity as a free gift. It was not my sin that made me a sinner, and it was not my obedience that makes me righteous. It was Adam's sin that made me a sinner. It was Jesus' obedience that has made me righteous. I've received it as a gift, amen, bought and paid for through an eternal redemption. Praise God. All right. So now, notice, if you never know that, if no one ever explains that to you, and I'll be honest with you, I was in church every time the doors were open since nine months before I was born. And it was a long, 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 long time before I ever came across somebody who explained any of this to me. All right. But see, now what happens, watch this though. <laughs> there are people who come to you to explain things to you and you go, oh, that can't be right. That ain't what my mama believes. You know, where's that man coming from? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't confuse me. Well, the Bible says my mind's made up. You know, it's like, okay, well then how can we help the, those people, right? But again, you can't acknowledge what you have no knowledge of. So when we start getting this knowledge that Jesus himself said, the works that he did, you would do also have an even greater works than these. All right. Now, we went from not knowing about it to knowing about it. That's step one. Now we have to acknowledge. And one of the ways we acknowledge is that we begin to say the same as. Right? We begin to get this word in our, in our hearts. Remember, he says, I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. I put my words in your mouth so that he can plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say in the Zion, thou art my people. Right? So now, we, what's in your heart in abundance? This is way down the road, way down the road, right? But notice now, um, let's, give, let's go back to the New King James Version here. I'm going to show you something. Praise the name of the living God. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? They said, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed. I went back to the New King James Version, not the message version. Every scribe, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. All right. Jesus had a lot to say about this in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, he said a good man, male or female, right? A good man brings forth good things from the treasure that's in his heart. Are you seeing this? So he's put good things in you if you have no knowledge of them. Do you realize there are people who, who are still struggling with sin who've been free from sin for 50 years? <laughs> Amen. It's like nobody's ever explained to them. Right? How can you believe what you've never heard? This is righteousness by faith, by the way. And faith doesn't say, well, I'll believe I'm righteous when uh, I see myself living righteously. That ain't how this works. You believe you're righteous because God made you righteous and He calls you righteous and He says you're righteous. And if you wait until you see evidence of it in your outward behavior before you believe it, you'll never see evidence of it in your outward behavior. 
Jesus. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to say, say that again. All right, praise God. Let's, 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 let's get this right. Amen. So faith, all right, let's, let's back up for a minute. And we, I promise you we're going to spend three hours on this at least. Okay, but let's, amen. All right, we're here and we need to be here. So let's get it now and we'll get it later too. Okay. Does faith, let's just talk about faith in general. How does faith work? Does faith say, I believe it when I see it? No. Faith doesn't operate by the way things look, seem, and feel. Faith operates based upon what God has said in the face of things that oppose it. The, you know, in spite of things looking, seeming, and feeling like is not true. Faith says it's true because God says it's true. And I'm going to go with what God says. I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. Okay. So if God says to me, I've made you, and he does in the scriptures, and I'll show them to you in all these different scriptures. Okay? But if God says, I've made you righteous, if God says, I've made you free from sin, if I wait until I can see evidence of righteousness in my life to believe I'm right, to believe I'm free, that's not faith. Are you following me? Faith, that's, that's in essence saying, I believe it when I see it. Oh, Pastor Mark says, the Bible says I'm righteous. I'll believe it when I see it. You're not ever going to see it. But faith says, you know what? God says I'm righteous and I'm going to agree with him. Best advice I could ever give anybody, somebody shout it out to me. Agree with God and agree with him quickly. If he says he's made you just as right before him as Jesus, your job is to submit and believe it. Agree with him. Even when there's all kinds of evidence in your life that says you are not free and you are not right. Okay? But if God says I'm free and if God says I'm right, I'm going I'm to agree with him and I'm going to start confessing out of my mouth that I'm free and I'm righteous. Amen. I've been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus and I have fellowship with God that cannot be broken. That's some of the things we've been talking about on Wednesday night in the main service. Okay? In the scriptures. Okay? So... But again, this is how faith works. Faith calls things that be not as though they were. Let the poor man say, I'm rich. Let the weak sister say, I'm strong. Are, are you following me? Amen. Amen. Right? So, well, you don't, you don't know how much money I, I need and how far in debt I am. and what. See, again, that's how things look, seem, and feel. God said, I supply all your needs according to my riches and glory, not according to your ability to work three jobs and pay it off. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. Amen. But again, if, you're, if you've put your trust in your own ability and your own intellect to, to try to solve all these issues in your life, your way, in your own strength, and your own ability, you've left God out of the picture. Amen. You've left him out of the picture. And that's not faith. That's not faith. So I'm going to try to say it again, brother. So if you wait until you see evidence of it before you believe it, you won't ever see evidence of it. But we're talking about discipleship as a means by which the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. The Lord told me something, and, I, and, and this is related, but it's not using the same words that we're using here, but I'll just give you an example of this. The... the <clears throat> One of the things that I've struggled with in my life, but I've, I have come to terms with, is the fact that God put me on this earth to write books. Okay? And um, books, plural. Okay? Like heavens, plural. Books, plural. Okay? And more than three. All right? Um, but even 
Like when I was writing the first book, the devil's in my ear telling me that I'm a pretender. I'm, who, like, why are you, you know, you're not a writer. You can't write. Why do you, you've never liked writing. You, you, your worst day in high school was when the teacher assigned a term paper. You know, all these things right going, going in, in, in my head. And so you would think like actually publishing a book, right, that that would somehow quieten all that. It didn't quieten it at all. You follow what I'm saying, okay? Yeah, well, I mean, you have to give the book away. Nobody's buying it. But you see, again, the devil just, bah, 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 right? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, I made you an author. He said, if you had lived your whole life and never written a single book, you would have lived your whole life an author and died without having written a book. But see, we think we, think we got to do to be. We think unless we do it, we ain't it, right? That's a lie. That's not how this works. It's be to do, not do to be. See, God knows that if he don't make you righteous and give you righteousness, that you can never live righteously. But See, the problem with this, now I'm going to show you how, how confused religion is. You go to church and the pastor tells you, calls you a sinner, just a sinner saved by grace. Just an old sinner saved by grace. You know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner saved by grace. You better stop sinning. If you don't stop sinning, this is what's going to happen to you. God's going to make your kid sick. And then at the end of it, after everybody gets through crying at the altar, now go, go live righteously. Notice what they've just done. They, they took 45 minutes telling you you were a sinner. And then they said, now leave out of this church and go live directly opposite to who and what you are. You can't. If you're a sinner, guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. And if God makes you righteous and you still see yourself as a sinner, guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. And we've certainly all given the devil enough uh, ammunition to, to use against us, right? But see, that, that's not what this is about. This is, this is about the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expression of life. And so one of those inward realities of the new birth is God's kingdom is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. How about this one? And this one freaks religious people out all the time. Read John 17. Jesus said, Father, the glory that you have given to me, I now give to them. What? Father, the same love that you have loved me with, I want them to know that you love them with the same love that you have for me. Amen. How about this one? The same fellowship that Jesus has with God the Father. You and I have been called into oneness and fellowship with God the Father to have the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys tonight. All these things, I could go on and on. Inward realities, inward realities of the new birth. It's who you be. But if, again, how can, you, how can you acknowledge what you have no knowledge of? All right, now let me, this, this is the, um, have you ever seen like in a movie or documentary or whatever, like a ship's radar, you know, it's, it's usually like a green screen that's got, you know, like a grid on it and this little thing that goes around and it's sending out these, uh, what, ra radio signals, right? And anything on the horizon that, that um, is, is on the radar, so to speak, it'll, that signal will hit it and it'll bounce back. And that's how they know that a plane or whatever is, you know, another ship's out on the water. And, and a lot of times, I guess it's this way in reality, but in the movies, they always make it go bloop, <laughs> bloop, right? As it goes around, bloop, it's, it's alerting the radar uh, person, you know, that's their responsibility to, to keep an eye on the radar, that there's something out there, okay, that, that wasn't out there before. So... Once you have knowledge of these things and then you acknowledge, acknowledge means, okay, 
I'm hearing it. This is what the Bible says. It has to be true if God says it. Okay. So now you've acknowledged it. Guess what just happened? Now it's on your radar. So sometimes like in these classes, um, the best I can hope for is take something that you've never heard of and at least get it on your radar. And that's what I mean within, within this scope of what you know and, and are willing to acknowledge. All right. But now once, once this comes on your radar, right, now meaning what? Okay, whoever's perfectly trained in the kingdom, like the owner of a general store, put their hand on anything anybody needs anytime they need it. Okay, wow, that's me. That means I have stuff in me that other people need. Notice now what's happening. Bloop, bloop, bloop. It's getting closer, right? Because ultimately, ultimately what, what we want to do is you shall lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Amen. That's not talking to 12 disciples. He said to the 12 and, and more that had become close followers of Jesus that if they would um, go and preach, anybody who believes on Jesus because they initially went and preached would do these things. Cast out devils. Speak in unknown tongues. Lay their hands on the sick and the sick recover. See, we, we live in a world, watch this now, we, we live in a religious world now that says that God doesn't even do these things anymore, much less people. Are you, are you what I'm saying? They're like, oh, God doesn't, God doesn't do that anymore. God, God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't this anymore. God doesn't that anymore. God doesn't speak to people anymore. God, you know, so <laughs> there's no devils to cast out anymore. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying, right? So now it's, 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 like, it's, it's like God doesn't even do it anymore. So why should you ever think any human being would ever do it? And, and much less think that you would. Do, do you see? And the devil's behind every bit of this. The devil's behind every bit of this. Listen, I, the great revival and the great awakening that's coming is going to be a revival and an awakening of the body of Christ. It's not, it's not going to be a handful of men and women that have television networks that preach all over the world. Thank God for those men and women. I am, I am not demeaning them or speaking negatively against them at any, at any point. Just hear me, please, what I'm saying, okay? Um, that has never been the plan of God for a, a handful of special people in every generation to go do the works that Jesus did. The plan of God is for every born-again believer in everyday walks of life ministering the, the, the supernatural uh, resources uh, of God's kingdom to other people in need. Amen. And, 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 this, and the devil, is, he is absolutely scared uh, to death of, of this ever happening. And so we've, we've become so far removed from these things and so um, oblivious and, and ignorant to these things that it's, it's not even on people's radar anymore. And then you've got folks that, you know, have really expensive suits and, and churches with thousands of people in them that stand in the pulpit and say, it's not for today. It's not for you. God doesn't do that anymore. I use this example um, several weeks ago on a Sunday. You know, can you imagine going and buying a new car and the sticker on the car window says heated seats, air conditioner, uh, you know, uh, used to be a CD player. That's way outdated now, right? But all these features on the car and you buy the car and you take it home and all of a sudden there's no heated seat. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's no air conditioning. And then what you thought was a radio was nothing but a plate covering up a hole in the dash. And you call the... the the dealership or drive back down there and you're like, hold, hold, this car is supposed to have heated seats. And they go, well, you know, um, it doesn't really mean that. 
Yeah, really, it really, I know it says that, but that's not what it means. And then you, you well, well, what about the air conditioning? Well, air conditioning, that's not for everybody. See, the point I'm trying to make is we would never accept those lame duck answers that it doesn't mean that, that it's not for everybody, that, that we don't do, we used to do that, but we don't do that anymore. But see, that's, that are, those are the best answers the devil could come up with about all these promises in the Word of God, right? And, and we buy them hook, line, and sinker. Oh, okay, why? Well, silly me, I thought healing was for everybody. Oh, silly me, I thought the baptism of the Holy Spirit was for everybody. I, excuse me for thinking wrong, right? See, we, we, we accept those answers. So notice now, what are we doing? We're, we're doing the opposite of acknowledging every good thing that's in us. Amen. God's kingdom is in you. Amen. Now, you can live as a born-again child of God your entire life with the kingdom of God in you, and that kingdom of God never become an outward reality, uh, an, an outward expression of your life. It doesn't mean it's not in you. And you get to heaven one day and find out it's been in you the whole time. Amen. Amen. You still with me? Yeah. All right. Praise God. I'm not sure how we got so far down that road, but we did anyway, and I hope you got something out of it. All right. So... Part of, part, of my job, part of my job is things that you've never heard before, uh, show them to you in the Scriptures. Help you understand them. Because every word that you hear that you don't understand, Satan can steal it from you so easily. So show it to you. Help you understand it. Help you begin to connect with it so that you can acknowledge it. You've got to have knowledge of it so you can acknowledge it, right? And then faith by hearing. See, faith, by, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You could never have faith for salvation unless you hear the Word of God concerning salvation. Once you hear the Word of God concerning salvation, now God's given to every person the measure of faith. So when the Word of God, the message of salvation that has the power of God unto salvation in it, when somebody hears that, it awakens, arouses, brings to the surface in their life the faith that was there when God gave it to them as, a, as a, I believe, an infant in the womb or even before that. Okay? So now we've got the two things that we need for somebody to get saved. We've got the Word of God that has the power to bring salvation into that person's heart there. And then we've got seed, right? And then we've got faith in the heart, soil. And when those two come together, that's, that's where the power of God is released into that person for, for somebody to receive salvation. As you received, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. So in other words, the same way that we receive salvation, it's the same way that we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue. you got to hear about it, right? We could shut this down and I could spend the rest of our time tonight teaching on fasting. And if you really listened to me and paid attention to what the Bible says about fasting, it would have awakened and aroused and brought to the surface faith in your heart to fast, right? Man, I've heard good teaching on fasting before, and I'm like ready to not eat nothing for 40 days. Now, that doesn't mean I don't eat. <laughs> you, you say, but, and, but again, what's happening? Why are we getting so stirred up about this? Because it's faith in our hearts that's being stirred up. It's being activated by the Word of God. And now it's like, okay. So if we never hear these things, how can we have faith to believe something that we have never acknowledged, that we have no knowledge of? So do you see how this process works? Amen? Okay. Praise Jesus. Um, one, one last verse concerning the kingdom, and it doesn't necessarily mention the kingdom uh, per se, but it is a very important kingdom verse, and that's in John 17, 15 through 16. Jesus speaking, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he's talking about born-again believers. Jesus was in this world, but he, his citizenship was another, was another world. He, he was a citizen of his father's kingdom, heaven, right? 
Okay. And so when Jesus is praying for you and me in John the 17th chapter, he's saying, listen, Father, I, I, first of all, let me back up for a moment. All right. If you had any idea how much Father God wants to be with you and me in person, how much he longs for us to be in heaven together with him. Okay. Um, this is not like, okay, let's put this off as long as we can. Keep these dirty scoundrels out of my presence. No, he wants you there. You're, in, if we as family and uh, my uh, son and, and covenant daughter, they lived in Nashville for a year. And um, man, you know, it, it, that was challenging for us because we had always had our family right here with us and we wanted to be with them. They wanted to be with us. Well, that times a million is how much Father God wants you to be together with him in heaven out of this out of this cursed planet where Satan's the God and all these other things, okay? But he's saying, Jesus is saying, Father, listen, I'm not asking you to take them out. I'm asking you to keep them while they're here. Why? Because we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. Things will not always be as they are right now, but there is coming a day, praise God, um, when we're going to be with him again. Not just in spirit, but in, in um, face-to-face, praise God. All right. So I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So you sometimes hear people say, maybe, maybe you've heard it before, if not, hear it for the first time. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're here in this, but we're from another world, just like Jesus was here, but he was from another world. Okay. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's do a hard shift. Uh, three questions. Three questions. And um, I thought we would be here way before now, but that's okay. Praise God. Um, three questions, and let's go first to uh, John chapter 8, and we'll look at verses 12, 13, and 14 from the New King James, and then verse 14 from the Passion Translation. All right. So three questions. Some of you heard me teach on this briefly uh, before, and so we'll try to drill down into it and make a little more sense of it, hopefully, for you uh, this evening. Praise God. All right, John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. Okay? Now, let me... Um, let me talk to you for just a minute about this, and, and we'll move on to this next passage or the, a, di- a different translation. <clears throat> You'd have to understand a little bit about their system, their religious system, to fully understand what is being said here. But there is an Old Testament precedent that carries over and is, is affirmed in the New Testament, and that is, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. Okay. So this goes back to legal proceedings where in a, if someone's accused of a serious crime, one witness would not be enough to convict that person of that crime. There would, there would have to be at least two. And if you've read Matthew lately when Jesus was on trial, and it was a kangaroo court, but even it's kind of funny to me that in the, not ha-ha funny, but oddly funny, that even in this basically sham of a, uh, court proceeding, they were still saying, we got to find somebody else that agrees with the last witness that came in here. It's going to take two witnesses for us to convict him. And it took them a while to finally get two folks that would basically then put words in their mouth or paying them, whatever, 
um, to, uh, to say the same thing about Jesus. And that was when ripped their garments and throw, oh, we do it, we do it. We finally have proof, right? But they've been trying to kill him for three years, okay? Uh, really go all the way back to his birth for that matter. Herod was trying to kill him. So in this instance then, when they say you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Let me paraphrase that for you. Jesus, what you're saying can't be right because you're the only one saying it. What you're preaching to people, what you're teaching people can't be true because you're the only one. Now, in their day, um, a, a religious leader would speak in the name of someone else. So, for example, uh, you, you hear the name uh, Gamaliel uh, tossed around some in Scripture. And Gamaliel was a highly, highly respected uh, master in, uh, in, in the Jewish religion. And people would study under him, and they would be disciples of him. And so when they would then go and speak, their words carried more weight because they studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and, and they basically would have the covering of that uh, master um, and would even at times speak in his name. Or they would say things to this effect. Um, what the great Gamaliel taught me was, and so it, when I say they speak, spoke in his name, they were basically saying, you know, he has this place of honor and respect. I studied under him, and now as I speak, it's not just me saying what I think, but it's me saying what I learned from Gamaliel, okay? Well, Jesus didn't go through all of that, right? And, of course, later he's going to explain um, that he's not violating the two-witness rule because he says, my father is one <laughs> and I'm two, okay? So uh, Jesus didn't, didn't learn and study under uh, some Jewish master, uh, but he studied under his father, and he said, I don't speak. Let's see if this adds a little more to why Jesus would say this, okay, other than it being true. I don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it. So I'm not here to tell you what Gamaliel said. I'm here to tell you what the God of the universe said. He's my father, and I learned this from him. This is not my doctrine, right? He's, this, is, this doctrine is not my own, okay? Because they're like, he's, he's a teacher of new doctrine. He's like a, trying to establish new doctrine. Jesus says, no, no, I'm, listen to me. This is not my doctrine. These are not my teachings. These are not my sayings. These are, this is my father's doctrine. This is my father's teaching. This is my father's sayings. Well, this just chapter hide all the more, right? Okay. So notice, though, that, that Jesus also says here that even if I bear, but he didn't, but he's saying even if I was to go so far as to bear witness of myself, my witness would still be true. And he said my witness would still be true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. In other words, Jesus had what I call the context for his existence. He understood where he came from. He understood where he was going. And, of course, what that implies, and we'll look at this in the next verse in just a moment, is that he, he also then knew who he was and he knew why he was here. The context of where he came from and where he was going, right, provided the greater context of his true identity and his true purpose. Right. So I love the Passion Translation here. John chapter 8, verse 14 in the Passion Translation. Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. For you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. 
Okay? So here's the, the reality about Jesus. Jesus, first of all, knew where he came from. All right? Um, and then he knew who he was. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus knew where he was going. And Jesus knew why he was here. These are some of the most important truths that we could ever understand, not just about Jesus, but about ourselves. Amen. Where, where did you come from? I don't, I don't mean Tuscaloosa or Georgia. or I'm talking about, remember, we were in the Father and we were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. You know, I don't know how old you are, but Father's known you a whole lot longer than anybody on this earth has ever known who you are. Okay, including your own mother who gave birth to you, all right? So Jesus knew where he came from. Then Jesus knew who he was, okay? He knew where he was going. He knew his purpose. Um, or, or, you know, his, the, 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 the finality of it, right? In other words, I like to say it this way. Jesus wasn't making things up as he went along, okay? Um, he, he had uh, an understanding of what he was about and what he was here to accomplish. And it provided, again, the context. Uh, remember this, and I've said this different times in different places. It's something I say a lot because, first of all, I, I remind myself of it, okay? Uh, you can never have a meaningful life without context. In the same way that, that context provides meaning in literature, context provides meaning in, in a conversation, um, to simply define context, context is everything that you need to know to make sense of something. It's everything that you need to know to make sense of something, all right? And um, so you can, you can take phrases or verses out of context in the Bible, and by doing that, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say, all right? So in order to understand the meaning of something that God said, you need the context. Context is everything you need to know to make sense of something. Everything you need to know to make sense of a verse. Everything that you need to know to make sense of a promise. Everything that you need to know to make sense of a gift that God has given you. Okay, So that's context. And, and these four categories here, and we're going to basically drop them down to three. But these, these things, where we came from, who we are, where we're going, and why we're here. Let me, let me say it another way. Do you realize how many people on this planet have no idea where they came from? They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea who they are. And they have no idea why they're here. And yet they get up every morning and go headlong into a life trying to figure it out and make it, make it up as they go along. And, and wonder why they're so frustrated. Wonder why they're so disappointed. Wonder why they're so anxious. Wonder why they're so depressed. Wonder why they, they can't. Uh, seem to make sense out of anything, uh, living with this gnawing sensation that there has to be more to life than what they're experiencing, and, and there is, right? So we all long for a meaningful life, but we, we cannot have meaning without context, okay? Now, we've talked about this off and on, that one of Satan's strategies is the trivialization of man, where, where Satan is trying to... Uh, to trivialize, and a trivialize means to, to make uh, less of something than it truly is or make light of something that is actually very weighty. Uh, to, 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 to try to, um, you know, to trivialize means to make small, to make little, to, to act like it's not important when it's really important, to, to try to make it out to be, um, say it again. 
belittled. That's a great word. Um, so again, Satan, his strategy is uh, to trivialize you and me. Um, I think we read these verses uh, Monday uh, in, the, in the Monday class. I don't know how many of you were there for that. But it, this is from the message translation, uh, Romans 1, 18. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him. They trivialized themselves. So again, it's Satan's strategy, but he can't trivialize you without your cooperation. They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Am I the only person that can relate to that at least at some point uh, in, in, in your existence? Trivialized yourself into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Okay, now uh, Miles Monroe's on the other side, and I hope one day in heaven I get to have lunch with him or something. Uh, he's one of my heroes, but uh, um, one of my many quotes that uh, I respect and admire him for. He said, "Man's greatest ignorance is of himself. Man's greatest ignorance is of himself." In other words, we we know more about what it takes to get to the moon than we know about our own existence for the most part. Okay, and so we we've got to understand. Uh, these uh, deep questions, uh, in, in, again, not just from Googling them, but, you know, from God, you know, where, where we understand from Him and, and His Word uh, and with the Holy Spirit's help in, in, in revealing it to us, opening our eyes to us, um, the truth about where we came from, the truth about who we are, the truth about why we're here, the truth about where we are going. Now, your heritage, and that was the name the Lord impressed upon us when this church began uh, some 25 plus years ago now, was uh, for it to be Heritage Christian Center. And your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. Your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. And when we first started the church, my wife and I, we set out to Teach people what belongs to them because of who they are. And it, it wasn't working at first. I mean, people were excited and, and people were coming, but the messages seemed to be kind of sailing over people's heads. And, and I took it before the Lord and He said, you're trying to teach people what belongs to them because of who they are, and they don't know who they are yet. Right? In, in other words, if I'm trying to tell you what belongs to you because of who you are, and you have no idea who you are, there's, there's nothing in your life to support that next line of teaching. Are you seeing this? Okay. So guess what we did? And we're still doing it this day, but we're also teaching people what belongs to them because of who they are. But we spent a lot of time on discipleship and explaining to people who they became the day they became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, with, with that backdrop of truth in place, um, let me uh, present to you uh, these three questions, all right? And I, 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 did it, I do it different ways over the years, but this is the way I've kind of settled on the last several years, and we're, we're going to go with it. So the first question is, why am I? Okay, why am I? And this 
particular question corresponds to your purpose. So why am I corresponds to purpose. Now, let's talk about purpose for a moment. Because everybody has a purpose. People know it innately. They know it instinctively. Um, people have a close brush with death. And they often say things like, there must be a reason for me to still be here. Because there's something in us that says, there's got to be a greater purpose, a greater reason for my existence. Okay, And so you have these, uh, I start to say lighthearted, but some people take it serious, right? Uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. Have you all ever heard, <laughs> heard that one? Right? So again, for some folks, that, that, is, that is what they understand their purpose to be. The, the, the gathering of things, the accumulation of things. Father God doesn't mind you having things. He, he does mind things having you. Okay, He didn't say money was the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and, and really coinciding the love of money is, is where people put their trust in money. And that's a very, very dangerous trap that Satan sets for a lot of people and a lot of people fall into. Okay, um, But when we talk about your purpose and understanding your purpose... This is, and I say it this way, I hope it makes sense to you when I say it this way, understanding and being actively involved in your purpose is the sweet spot of life. Um, I, I can only think of one person in, in all the hundreds, probably by now thousands of people that I've had the honor of, of working with over the last 35 years in addiction recovery. I can only think of one person that ever understood their purpose and got immersed in it who relapsed. But it, it was very brief, and that was uh, a few years ago, and, and this individual continues to serve God and, and, and live successfully in a, in a, in a God-glorifying life to this day. So <clears throat> you were created by God for a specific purpose. Now, there are some things that are general to all of us, meaning it's, it's, we all share a common purpose, okay? Um, but then there are things that are very specific and unique to you as an individual. In other words, something that, that God has given you to do in your generation, there's a reason why no one's ever had your same thumbprint, it's because you are a very unique, um, even if you have a twin or, or, or a member of a set of triplets, okay, we have good friends that, that they had triplets. Couldn't be more different, the three of those youngins, okay? Amen. We have friends that, that my daughter's friends that are twins, uh, friends of twins, and again, they look the same, but they're not the same. Are you following me? It's because every person is... And, and this, to me, goes to the vast creativity of God, is, is, how, is how different, um, uh, you know, we all are, and yet, at the same time, how similar we all are, okay? And so, this, again, is the sweet spot of life, and ultimately, uh, my purpose is helping you find yours, or at least part of my purpose is helping you find yours, part of what I'm, I've been assigned to do. Uh, and so that's why we've been doing discipleship class for 20 years. It's helping people grow and understand in, in these things and their eyes being opened to it by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God. All right. 
But in the same way that I can't teach you what belongs to you because of who you are unless you let me teach you first who you are, okay? In the same way, as important as this answer is, you will never be in a position to fully understand and answer this question until you know the answer to this next one. And the next question is, who am I? Okay? And of course, who am I also has a word. I'm trying to make this simple for you to remember. Who am I corresponds to identity. Identity. And, and, and this is huge. Okay? Um, and there's a lot of confusion <coughs> in our world. And if you notice, the confusion is increasing when it comes to identity. And I'm, you know, there are a lot of preachers, they, they try to get cheap laughs with, you know, smart remarks about these things and, and, and uh, you know, gender issues and all that stuff. That, that's, it's not funny, not, not to be laughed at or made fun of. But there's, you know, I, I said this before, I, I don't know if it's for public consumption or not, but I'll, I'll say it here, you know, when, um, when asked about, uh, you know, people coming to a residential recovery program who, who um, are confused about some of those different gender issues and things like that. Um, I, I said this, and don't love me after I say this, okay, but I'm, I'm feeling compelled to say it, but I, so I'm going to say it. Amen? Yes? Okay. All right. Is it everybody who comes to the foundry has identity confusion? Well, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm 57 years old, walking with the Lord this year, 50 years. Man, I'm <laughs> it's, it's been the last few years that I've found out I've been an author this whole time. You, and I'm, that's, that's for real. You hear what I'm saying, right? I've got I to have knowledge of it before I can acknowledge it. I've got to acknowledge it. See, now I'm starting to believe it. Right? And guess what's, that, guess what's happening? I'm not, I'm not bragging this. My writing's getting better. My writing's, I read Becoming a Threat to Addiction now, and I'm like, oh my goodness, i got to redo some of this, right? You know, amen. But again, it's, it's about learning, it's about growing, right? Okay. And, and the inward reality become an outward expression. And, and the Lord reminded me, he said, you remember when you first started preaching and you didn't think you was a preacher? One of the reasons that I didn't, the Lord laid it on my, mine and Pam's heart to start at least my heart, praise God. <laughs> I mean, she's with me. Don't misunderstand me. She'd do anything. She followed me to hell and back. Praise God and has. Amen. Okay. Um, but, well, she put the kids to bed and came downstairs and saw the look on my face and started crying, right? Because she just knew it was time. It was time to start the church, and we did it in the cabinet shop. You've heard the story. I won't go back through all that. Okay. But, um, but I was supposed to do it before then. I was supposed to do it actually about three years before, before we started the church. And I, I just wasn't ready. I, I was... A lot of, but I'll tell you the, one of the biggest, I'm not kidding when I say this, one of my biggest problems with starting the church when the Lord first started laying on my heart was as a youth pastor, I would work like sometimes a 40-hour week to come up with one sermon. And I'm like, Lord, how could I ever have enough time running a business, you know, to study and prepare? And I'm not just going to stand up there and wing it or read something out of a a book or a magazine or something that, you know, if I'm going to preach, I'm going to have what God wants to be said or we're going to just worship and go home. and not going to preach. You see what I'm saying? And so, but he reminded me uh, last year when it comes to writing, he said, remember when you first started, I would like have 14 pages of notes and say everything that I could think to say in seven minutes. You know, it's like, and they're like, okay, well, we're done. You know, it's like, you know, but 
But guess what? That's changed, right, by reason of use, okay? And what I'm believing in 2024, y'all getting agreement with me, some faith with me, okay? That was a question. I mean it, right? Okay. You say, y'all say, well, you've got to tell me what I'm agreeing with first, right? Okay, so here's what I'm asking you to agree with me, is that this year uh, it'll come out of my fingers just like it comes out of my mouth. There you go. Right? Amen. Amen. You know what I mean by that? Okay. I mean, you know, it's 630 almost, right? I don't even feel like we got started good. Uh, amen. Amen. And we skipped over a bunch of stuff, right? So it's going to flow out my fingers like it flows out my mouth. Amen. Okay, all right. So, identity. Identity. And, and, and the devil is... Let, let, me, let me say it another way, all right? The devil knows that if he can keep you from ever finding out who you are, he can severely limit your understanding of why you are. Okay? Because you'll never know why you are until you know who you are. You'll never understand your purpose until you understand your identity. And, and, and here's one of the big reasons for that, okay? It's because your purpose is so much greater than who you think you are right now. Are you following me? So let's go back to one of your purposes, the works that Jesus did and even greater works. See, if you don't understand your identity in Christ, if you don't understand whose you are and who's in you and what belongs to you and the standing you have with God, see, if, if all that's shaky and you're not sure about any of that stuff, then somebody like me stands up in front and tells you, you do the works of Jesus, you're like, sells right over your head. Let me say it another way, okay? Your purpose is so grand and so big and so important, right? It can never be carried out with uh, measly thinking and, and, and low-level thinking and believing you're just an old sinner saved by grace and all this other stuff. Okay, all right. Okay, we'll talk some more about that in a minute if we have time. If not, we'll get to it week after next because we're not having class next week. I'll remind you again. All right. um, but you can write this down. I'll show it to you in Scripture in a minute, okay? Identity unlocks destiny. One of my favorite quotes along this section of teaching that the Lord gave me many years ago, okay? Identity unlocks destiny. You'll never, your destiny will never come into view for you until you first understand your identity. I, I apologize if I'm talking too much about myself. But see, you know, I got, I got the Lord laid it on my heart to write books. And I know that's, that's my purpose, right? But I'm, I don't believe I'm an author. I don't believe I'm a writer. <laughs> you, see, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Lord, surely you got somebody out there that can, do it, that can write that book better than me, that knows more about it than I do, that has a you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I made A's in English, but you've heard me talk. You know how I butcher the English language, okay? <laughs> Amen. All right. So, but notice now, until I understand that this is, what, this is who God made me, this is something he put in me to do, then it seems like the fulfillment of it is out of reach. Identity unlocks destiny, all right? But there's three questions, three questions. And the third question is what am I? What am I? And just like the other two, this word, this question corresponds with one word, and that's your origin. Your origin. Your origin. Now, as I've mentioned already tonight, and I'm, I'm doing this not to brag, but to give glory to God, um, this is our 20th year of teaching these classes. And one of the things that I think has changed for the better is that when we started um, these classes 20 years ago, 
if you were to walk into a Christian bookstore, and those used to be a big deal. Uh, there's still some out there, okay? But that used to be a really big deal to go to the Christian bookstore. This is before Amazon and all this other stuff, you know, Internet. Um, I'm not saying the Internet wasn't there 20 years ago, but amen. The, the actual brick-and-mortar bookstore. You could find all kinds of books on the shelves in there about fulfilling your purpose. You know, what the genre is Christian living. And there's a world of resources, manuals, uh, workbooks, uh, all this about your purpose, finding your purpose. Because I think authors and writers and preachers and teachers and godly men and women, they understood the importance of that. Okay. But in that same bookstore, you'd be hard-pressed to find one book on identity. Now, I know, like, you know, we got, who is it, Lauren Daigle, you know? I mean, she's singing about it now. Beautiful song. I'm trying to think of the title of the song, but you know what I'm saying? Who You Say That I Am, right? Is that the title? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, again, welcome. Welcome that. Thank you, sister, and Holy Spirit for giving that song to her, okay? But we sometimes take it for granted as much as we hear about these things now in the church, in the body of Christ, and from pulpits, and in writings, and podcasts, and what have you. But there was a day where you almost never heard anything about this. And, and then if somebody started you know, trying to talk about it, oh, that's, that's secularism, that's new age, that's psychology. You know, try to teach you on meditation in those days, right? You, you'd get people want to run you out of the church on a rail. That's Eastern religion. No, it's not. It's Bible. We're told to meditate. Amen. But see, again, these, these things were, were not accepted as they are now. And I think still we got a, a long way to go. All right. But now watch this, okay, so we could go in that same bookstore today and find more about our identity, music, and books and literature, okay? But when's the last time you've heard a good sermon on what you are? See, that, this one is still lacking. And what you are is to who you are, what who you are is to why you are. Meaning what? Meaning you will never be able to understand your true identity until you understand your origin. Until you understand exactly what, I'll show it to you in the scriptures in a moment if we have time, but the, the psalmist asked the question, what is man? Not who am I, not why am I, but what am I? What am I? Okay? Now, we're going into a, a, a matter of fact, if I'm not careful, we'll spend the rest of our what, this is class 20? We've got 16 left. If we're not careful, we could spend 16 classes on just simply answering the question, what am I? You hear me often refer to basic life understanding. This is, this is the heart of basic life understanding. Most people are trying to solve advanced life problems without basic life understanding. Okay. And the, and the most basic of all life understandings, not purpose, not identity, but origin. Or, or as it corresponds to this question, what am I? What am I? Okay? Now, um, <clears throat> whew, praise God, time's running out on me. Let, let's, I want to show you, and maybe I should have put this verse up earlier, but let me put it up now. Isaiah 28 and 10. Isaiah 28 and 10. And I like for people to see this verse. Because they think, like, because I, sometimes I'll take a verse and I'll take a portion of it and I'll, to, for emphasis, I'll just say a part of that verse two or three times. And sometimes people think I'm doing this with this verse, but I'm not. It actually says it these multiple times. 
Isaiah 28.10, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. <coughs> now, amen. So, again, do you understand why I said sometimes people think if they don't see the verse, they'll just think I'm just repeating it because I'm trying to emphasize it. But that's exactly what it says. A precept is similar to or maybe even synonymous with a concept. Okay, so the idea of it's, it's, a, it's a portion of truth. It's, it's, it's a, an, an, an idea, but in the case of it being a God idea, it's more than just someone's opinion, but it's how it actually is. And when he says that precept must be upon precept, and then again, precept upon precept, and line must be upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. He's talking about God's truth being built into and established in your heart and in your life. And he's saying that the truth comes into our hearts and is ultimately established in our lives, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. Line upon line, here a little, there a little, okay? Have you ever, or even if you haven't, you, I think you can understand the concept is pretty readily uh, understandable. But have you ever watched someone lay brick, like a mason lay brick? Um, I've laid a little bit of brick in my life. That's not, I, I've never, I haven't done it enough, let me say it this way. I haven't done it enough to get good at it, okay? But I've mixed a lot of mortar for brick layers, okay? And that's the hard job right there, toting the brick and mixing the mud, as they say. Right. And if you know anything about laying brick, um, and if you don't, you're fixing to learn it pretty quick, okay? It's pretty simple. Um, that brick mason lays brick line upon line. Um, let's say, you know, they're laying brick on this wall right here behind me, and it's going to take, I don't know, 48 rows of brick to go all the way to the ceiling. Well, it's impossible for that brick mason to lay row 18 until he rows, lays row 17, 16, 15. Are you following me? So the mason lays the brick line upon line. He lays one row, then he comes back and he lays the next row, and then he comes back and he lays the next row. All right? So this is just another way. Let's go back to the example, what belongs to you because of who you are. So the inheritance that is yours, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, that is um, a precept of Scripture. Or we could say a doctrine, a system of teaching in Scripture. Very important. Okay? But that's a row above who you are in Christ. So if, if no one ever tries to or you never allow anyone to help you and the Holy Spirit lay the line of truth in your life of who you are, there's in essence nothing in your heart to support the line of truth of what belongs to you because of who you are. So there is an order to things. Some of what happens in these classes and why people are so attracted to these classes and folks have taken them in some cases eight, nine years in a row, okay, is because they come to discipleship class 
and they get the rows of truth that have been missing for other truth that they have been curious about or interested in or read a book about or heard some teaching on when they were younger. Yes, no, see some of you nodding your head, right? And, and so we're like, okay, well, why is it working this way and this sort of thing? And it's like we can't ever get traction. You understand what I'm about traction? Because remember, the difference is in the doing. We've already covered this already. So it's, it's not just what you hear and know. It's what you act upon. Right. But, and that's part of the difference between a precept and a concept. A precept is something that you follow through on and do and put into practice in your life. But there are some things that you can't put into practice in your life until you put other things into practice first. Are you following me? Okay. So for, here's, here's a big example. When I say big, general, generalized example. Okay. Let's say you hear some things about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in unknown, unknown tongues, and that interests you. That's, man, that's cool. I'm into the supernatural, and I would like to be a part of that. Okay. Well, guess what really big, important precept has to come first? Okay. Salvation. Right? You've got to get born again and get the Holy Spirit inside of you before you have the opportunity to then yield your tongue to Him and allow Him to speak through, through you with uh, uh, utterings and, and groanings that can't be uh, formed into articulate speech okay, or a known language. So that's, that's a big one right there. But notice, once you act upon salvation, now you're in a position to act upon the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that precept operating and working in your life. Does that make sense? That's kind of a simple one, but I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to show you here. Another one, let's say you hear some things about prosperity and, and you like the idea of, of God prospering you and increasing you and, and, and these sorts of things, okay? And that's true. Uh, I know some people are against it. And by the way, who benefits from the church being broke? Okay, Satan, not God, all right? Because it takes money to preach the gospel. Right? So you hear some things about, about prosperity, okay? Um, but you never have it explained to you that you're, Outward prosperity is in direct proportion to the prosperity of your soul. Beloved, I wish above all things that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. See, most people don't understand even the difference between their soul and their spirit. So now notice there's a lot of rows that, that we're going to have to put into place there to get you up to a point. Now, here's another thing, right? Here's, an, here's a, the, the um, how do I say this? This is where people get crossways and frustrated and... I tried all that stuff and it didn't work. And I said, but, but see, now watch this, okay? Um, they're, trying, they're trying to produce results from a precept that they've heard that, that other precepts in their lives aren't in place yet to support it. And so this is where a lot of people turn against these things, okay? And, and they preach against prosperity. Never mind that God says He takes tremendous pleasure in your prosperity, okay? Again, he's one of them prosperity preachers. Man, what do you want me to be? You, you, you want me to? I've never understood uh, pastors preaching poverty to people that they then receive offerings from. That, that doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, uh, let me get back to this. Okay, so do you see then? Now with that one, like, okay, so we're just going to come in here. And we're going to talk about financial prosperity God's way, right? Okay, well that, that's a great truth in the scriptures, but a lot of people don't understand it. Uh, they've seen people in error. They've they've seen. You know, people abuse and, and, and all this other stuff. And so they, they turn against it, so even preach against it, although the Bible says don't speak evil against something you don't understand, but they don't, clearly don't understand it. Okay? But now if you go all the way back to the heart of God, so that these, are, these are precepts that someone would need to understand before they would ever be able to, to embrace and act upon God's desire to prosper you, okay? First of all, He's a good God. Amen. <laughs> right? And that as your Father... 
uh, He desires to see you successful, and so much so that, that God is glorified when you're victorious. God is glorified when any, anybody here that has children, you're glorified when your children get their car repossessed. Absolutely not. You want to see your children have more and better than you do. We, we think we're all holy and greater than God. And also we got that desire for our children from our creator father because he has that same attitude towards you and me. Okay. But that, that, but that God is for you, that he's a good God, right? What his nature's like, what his character's like. Um, anyway, I'm not going to try to go through that whole thing, but there's, there's a whole lot of stuff. Spirit, soul, and body, the difference between prosperity of, of the inward man versus prosperity outwardly. Um, if, if you somehow find a place in life where you're, where you're prosperous outwardly but, but not prosperous inwardly, then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's not prosperity. <laughs> it, so it's just a whole lot of things. But once, once you get all these different rows of bricks in place, now there's something there to support it, right? Um, one of them is giving and, and what giving is all about. And you hear people say, don't, don't shout me down and don't get mad at me for saying it. But you hear people say you shouldn't give to receive. And that's the lie from the devil. That's a, you shouldn't give to be noticed. You shouldn't give to try to make yourself look better than other people. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't give your gift uh, you know, to be seen of men and to, be, and to be applauded and to be thought of as generous and all this other stuff. He said, but, but give it in secret. Give it privately and, and your Father will reward you openly. He says, give and it will be given unto you. You cannot separate receiving from giving any more than you can separate harvesting from planting. They're, those terms are used interchangeably in the scriptures. But see, if you don't understand that, you just, well, it would be great for God to prosper me. Oh, God, prosper me, God, prosper me. And not understand his ways of prosperity. Are you following me? So we can go on and on. But even then, it's not about the gift. It's about the trust. It's about honoring God. God honors those who honor Him. Honor Him with, the, with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. All these different precepts, right? So this, and I probably spent too much time here and at 645, but praise God. This is how I want you to, let's go back to this one last slide and we'll pray, okay? These are on the screen in the order that they're on because... If these are three very important foundational roles of truth in your life, what am I has to be answered first. And then once we begin to answer what am I, now it starts to become very clear who we are, our identity. Okay? And then once you know what you are and who you are, it's, it's, it's almost as if no one has to even explain to you your purpose. It just becomes very clear. Amen. But it's very frustrating when you're trying to figure out your purpose and you don't know your identity. Anybody relate to that? I can relate to that. <coughs> trying to figure out your purpose, you don't know your identity. And so it's like, okay, well, let's, let's learn about our identity. Again, if you, don't understand, if you don't understand what you are, and let me give you an example, and we'll pray. I know I'm running out of time, but they'll wait for me in there, okay? Um, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. You are a spirit... Listen to me very carefully. This is, this is one of the answers to what am I. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Most people on planet Earth try to understand their 
identity and their purpose based upon what they do outwardly. What you do outwardly is not who you are, nor does it determine who you are. It's who you're, your spirit, are you following me? You've got to understand spirit, soul, and body. You've got to understand what you are. Once you understand spirit, soul, and body, now you realize I was born a second time from an incorruptible seed, which lives and abides forever. Seed determines nature. I was before my new birth, by nature, a child of disobedience and, a, and, a, uh, 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 and the offspring of wrath, the Bible says. Sons of disobedience, child of wrath. Okay, Damnation, wrath is damnation. Okay, This is who I was before. But I've been born a second time. I've now become a partaker of the divine nature. So your true identity is not who you think you are or what you act like or what you do. Your true identity is who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But notice now, if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, that's what you are. You're in no position to even begin to understand who you are because who you are is not based upon what you do outwardly, but who God made you inwardly. Yes, do we try to cover too much in the last few minutes there? All right. Let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace. I pray that everything, Lord, that we touch for the rest of this day will prosper for your glory. I thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us in personal and meaningful ways. I thank you, Father, that, that we've covered a lot of stuff. We went off uh, notes and script for a little while, but I think, we, I think we were led to do that, Father. And so ultimately, Holy Spirit, I ask you um, to seal this word in, into the hearts and into the lives of those that are hearing it now. Satan, we bind you. We cast you out. We rebuke you. You will not steal these truths from us. Even if we've said things tonight, Father, that, that people aren't, aren't readily uh, understanding and embracing, Father, I thank you that it will not be stolen from them and that more lines of truth will come to support and ultimately make clear, Lord, things that we've covered tonight. Thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, know that you're loved. Remember, no class next week, so I will see you in this classroom uh, two weeks from tonight. Much love, good things coming.